0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, September 10th, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by our CEO and co-founder, Raul Pearl. Raoul, uh will be joining us in just a second. But here's what we're looking at right now. Uh, PPI, in that's Producer Price Index, it's hot. Final demand, uh, PPI for final demand, it's up 0.7% month over month for August. That's a smidge above consensus uh, and at the top of the consensus range. Core PPI, uh, this is core PPI uh, year over year, 4.6%. This is ex-food and energy. Obviously, uh, base effects from a dismal August 2020. Still uh, something to watch as the Fed plans its taper. Apple uh, ordered today by a court to appear uh, to allow developers uh, to have them allow them to uh, basically use their own payment networks, this is a, a really interesting situation. so Apple has been able to have a monopoly on payment methods in the app store uh, now uh, for a very long time, many years their profit margins there are seventy five percent significant profit margins apple on the day off uh, three plus percent it looks like um It looks like 3.3% here at the close, turning to U.S. equity markets across the board, indices down uh, on the day. Uh, It looks like the big loser on the day is the NASDAQ, off 0.87%, just under 1%, to close at 15,115. S&P 500 also off on the day, uh, spot 77%, closing at 4,000. 458. Uh, When we look across the week here, uh, it's not been a great week for stocks. S&P down one spot, 3%. uh, The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.8% on the week. NASDAQ off 1% on the week. Not a great week for crypto either, we should say. Bitcoin uh, looks like trading here at Uh, 45,712. That's off about 1% on the day, about 9% on the week. Still up. Uh, fractionally on the month, about 0.15%, year-to-date up 57%, and for the year, up 340%. Obviously, considerable gains if you got in at the beginning of the year. Same story, actually, when we look at Ethereum, uh, off on the day, about 3%, trading right now at 3,320. Week-to-date, not a good week, off 15%. One month, Ethereum up 5%. Year-to-date? Up three hundred and fifty percent, one year, twelve month trailing uh, up eight hundred and five percent. These are all indicators of just how volatile these markets are. I can hear Rao laughing in the background at those statistics. Rao, welcome back. It's a pleasure to be here with you
0: again. Always good to be back. Friday with Ash, it's always fun. So Rao, what do you make of that? Well, I was just laughing at the how with the serious face can you talk about, you know asset prices like? The S and P up forty two percent, whatever it is, and then suddenly like Ethereum up eight hundred and whatever percent. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. But it's you know looking at those crypto markets, they're volatile as we know. Um For me, they've all been following pretty much the pattern since um, that I've been looking at, which is that Ethereum now is following Bitcoin's pattern in two thousand and seventeen. Um Bitcoin now is following Bitcoin two thousand and thirteen. Solana's following. um, Ethereum in 2017. It's weird. They're all so similar to previous network effect phases. They're just in different phases. And these kind of corrections are pretty normal. Um, I still think it's all to play for for the end of the year. I think we'll see a huge run up in this stuff.
1: Yeah, it's following the same curve, as you suggest. Obviously, this is a thesis that you came out with in the exponential age, uh, mapping out the rate of growth uh, of wallet addresses compared to price. The correlation seems to be holding broadly across the board here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was even looking, expecting that we should see Ethereum having this kind of 20% correction. It should be a few days, and then should rally again, because that's pretty much what Bitcoin did in 2017. After it had its corrective phase, got near the high, kind of failed at the high, and then rocketed higher. So it's kind of, it all rhymes a lot. And yeah, you know, once you put it in that perspective, everyone can just relax. All right, Rob, before people
1: yell at us, before we get into crypto, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in capital markets. Obviously, a seventh-month-long rally here going on uh, in u.s equities a central bank that keeps threatening to pull away the punch bowl i know we have a lot to talk about with crypto but let's scratch the macro itch what are you thinking when you look
0: at that um you know i've been saying the same thing for two months three months now on daily briefing is the u.s economy is slowing the fed is going to taper potentially into a slowdown and they will pivot this is you know myself david rosenberg jim bianco Um, I think Darius Dale, there's a whole bunch of us saying the same thing. Um, It would be weird to tighten. I think the rate of growth of balance sheet will go to zero um, as they kind of slow down. And then they will have to expand the balance sheet. I look at the Citibank Economic Surprises Index, also known as the SESI. And I've been talking about this for a few months now, saying it's going to cross zero And that means that the economic indicators are coming out. Economic data is coming out weaker than forecast. It is now currently at negative 68. So it's firmly negative and should keep going for a while longer. So that tells you that the people are over enthusiastic with the rate of growth of the uh, U.S. economy. And I think we will end up seeing that play out. But step back, as I always encourage people to do. And I'm looking at the chart of 10-year bond yields. They've gone nowhere for two months. They came off a lot earlier in the year as people got, they over extrapolated the inflation trend. And bond yields have been trading sideways at around this 133, 134 level for a long time. The dollar, Some the ten other 10 year treasury mm-hmm. is correct. Uh, the dollar, the other big macro variable, flatters a pancake over the same period of time. Uh, gold not managing to do much. And the equity market has been grinding higher. But really, it's not been a very macro world out there right now. I think we're in an inflection point um, today. Um, uh, this week I interviewed, and it's out today, uh, Laxman from ECRI, Economic Cycles Institute, and I picked his brains about this. You know, where are we in the business cycle? He sees exactly the same as I do, which is the business cycle is slowing. Doesn't We're not talking about a recession here. What we're talking about is um, that the business cycle comes down, and we'll probably see more stimulus to come in due course. So I think it's all playing out as expected, but economies don't move at the speed of markets. Right. Markets want to, you know, price in everything every 30 seconds or every one second. Uh, economies move like super tankers, and super tankers take a long time to turn. So we're still in that turning phase. And I think that the final quarter of this year and the first quarter of next year, and maybe even the first half of next year, will be significantly slower than the market expects.
1: Yeah. Uh, If you're talking about business cycles, Lakshman Akitan is the man to have on. And one of the things that I like about this interview uh, is that he starts sort of at the very beginning. He doesn't presuppose that you understand the framework for thinking about business cycles. So it's a great interview for that reason. And as the interview progresses, he gets more into the detail. Talking of which, Ralph, talk a little bit about this series, the journeyman series that you're working on.
0: Yeah. What I wanted to do is frame for people the ongoing journeys of discovery that I've got in this macro space, because none of us have a view that stays stable. We have to reassess it. And the way of reassessing it is by talking to the smartest people you know, and saying, hey, what do you think? And then absorbing their information too. And I want to act as that conduit for everybody. So if I can go and talk to people pick their brains and help develop my framework, then it's going to add value for everybody else because they can eavesdrop in on those conversations and take from it what they want too. The idea is not that you have to conclude the interviewer's conclusion or the interviewee's conclusion. The idea is I'll get you the information that you need to make your own conclusions. It's that journey that I think is interesting for everybody. And that's what makes macro so interesting to me it's this 3D jigsaw puzzle that you're endlessly trying to solve, and you solve it for this briefest period of time, and then it disappears again, and you have to start all over again. The intellectual power that it takes to do that is incredibly rewarding because it, it is that endless journey, um, and that's why it's called The journey, man. It's my journey of discovery, and it is an endless one, and I'm going to take everybody with me.
1: That's great. And talking of uh, journeys of discoveries and multi dimensional jigsaw puzzles, we also have a new show on crypto. Tell us about that.
0: Yes, I wanted to do the same thing in crypto. I wanted to have these two concurrent journeys. Crypto and macro are the same thing, and people will learn that over time. But I wanted to show, I wanted to learn in real time in crypto what is going on. Because that is even harder, because it's moving so fast, and everything is new, and we don't know where it's going. We don't have previous examples of how these things played out, what DeFi did in the past. So we all have to learn from scratch. And that really does take some leap of faith of the future. And I like to live in the future as a macro guy. And this crypto space really allows me to do that, which is why I attract so many macro people, because it is the future of the financial system and our entire kind of system of business and finance. But it's incredibly complicated and it's moving too fast and the people in it are incredibly smart. So I need to learn from them. We all need to learn from them. We all need to sit down and hear what is going on and what it all means for us. And that is what my adventures in crypto is all about. It, it is an adventure. It's going into a world that we don't know. It's like being an explorer for a new land and discovering it all with fresh eyes. And what an amazing journey, what a privilege it is to be able to do that. And by the way, we are all in varying degrees at exactly the same
1: place in the crypto space, looking into the unknown. Some people obviously have been doing this uh, a while longer, but the future is incredibly uncertain there, we accept that we know that things are moving towards digitization and decentralization. Beyond that, it's almost like all bets are off, right?
0: If anybody says they know where it's going, they're a liar. We have no idea. All we know, as I keep saying, it's the fastest adoption of any technology in all recorded human history, twice the speed of the adoption of the internet. And if you could have figured out in 1997 what the internet would be like today, well, you're a genius. There are some geniuses who could see some of that. People like Mark Andreessen, but very few can, and you're kind of lucky if you if you stumble across the right horizon. So it's it's and this is why I love this moment in time. I think we're we're blessed to be alive to see this plus the broader exponential age thesis of all of the other technologies. So macro technologies, the broken world of macro, why it needs fixing, and why we need optimism. Then crypto and the technologies all combining into this kind of incredible world. It's amazing to be alive. It's stressful. It's scary. It's uncertain. But it's an incredible, incredible time. Yeah. By the way,
1: talking of which, since we just talked about the show, let's take a quick look at the show right now.
0: I'm Ralph Pal, CEO and co founder of Real Vision. I think you know by now. I think crypto and digital assets are the biggest opportunity we've ever been given. There's a mind-blowing amount to get our heads around. There is so much change going on at such a pace that it takes all of our concentration, or we need the best people to lead us. So I wanted to create a show called Adventures in Crypto, where I go on my crypto learning adventure and you join me. And we go and learn together from the smartest, most respected people in the space to understand where this is all going, and how we can take advantage of it. It launches on September the 10th, and it's absolutely free. It's part of Real Vision Crypto. You get five pieces of content a week, including every Friday, my big interview with the biggest names in the whole of the digital asset space. Just go to realvision.com forward slash crypto and sign up. It's absolutely free, and you'll learn everything you need to do to understand and navigate this exciting new world.
1: Well, there you have it. You know, one of the things that I like about this show, Raoul, is that the framework you're bringing to it is a broader context, a broader narrative, trying to understand the big picture of what's happening uh, and not drilling down necessarily into the minutiae of the technology, but trying to understand just the big picture of what is actually happening out there.
0: And I'm also trying to help people not get lost in the noise of markets, or the shouting of Twitter, and all of the excess stimulation of our lives around us. I'm trying to get people to understand that there is a framework of which to navigate this world. That framework you keep adjusting. There is no fixed path. Some of your ideas will be wrong. Some of them will be right. But if we can all have some sort of framework of understanding, It becomes a much less stressful world, better to navigate. And you know what? It's probably immensely profitable, too. So if I can bring that one thing to people, to help people with it's this, it's like the noise of crypto. Step back and look at the adoption of the technology and say, is that going to stop or not? That's the only question you need to ask. That helps people much better um, in keeping hold of their positions or having the confidence to be part of this. Um, And that's true of most investment things. So you know, I'm really, my whole journey, these two shows, are really there to help everybody else navigate this world too.
1: Yeah. Well, we've got just a ton of questions streaming in. Uh, What do you say we jump in and we can just talk, have a continue the conversation around questions? Because some of these are really great in terms of a framework for thinking. Uh, about what's happening in markets, what's happening on the capital market side, as well as what's happening on the digital asset side. Uh, to precisely that point, a question to you, Raoul, uh, from JP. The question is, uh, do you think of Bitcoin as a leading indicator for equities? And perhaps more broadly, what do you think the relationship is between the digital asset markets and the macro slash capital asset markets?
0: On a broad basis, zero. They're they're not, it's a non-correlated asset. The only time it's correlated is in a risk off, which is a correlation to liquidity, not to the S&P or other things, because liquidity is a function of money in, money out. Other than that, it's non-correlated, except for the fact that they are correlated to the expansion of the Fed balance sheet. That's not because suddenly people in crypto are being given money by the Federal Reserve and they're all putting into crypto. It's none of that because they're devaluing the denominator, which is the value of fiat money, so all of these things look like they rise in price. Overall, no correlation, which is why it's such a beautiful asset to own. I think somebody said today that if you'd start at the beginning of the year with 1% in Solana and 99% in the S&P 500, you'd currently have something like 50% Solana, 50% S&P 500. That's diversification.
1: Yeah, a little bit of profit taking there on the rebalance. Um, here's one uh, about capital markets and macro. Uh, the question comes to us for, from Confused John, which is a great uh, name, especially given the question. And the question is, Raoul, at what stage of a sell-off do you anticipate the Fed pivoting and returning back to increasing the
0: balance sheet or, to- or stopping the taper? So, who knows whether we get the sell-off, because there's a Pavlovian response of which we're asking the question is, well, if the market falls, at what level does the Fed come back in? So maybe the market doesn't fall, because we see the economic data, and we know the Fed are going to come back in. But let's assume it does. The question is, is where is the Fed put? Yeah. Most people suggest 15%. It's not very much. 15%, pretty normal. We just haven't had a big... We just haven't had a correction in a long time. But if 15% would stop tapering and get the Fed to say, Well, then you know where it is. And that's it seems historically to suggest 15% is that level nowadays. So, you know, it's an incredible because it kind of tells you that the tail, the price of really downside volatility is way too expensive because the Federal Reserve have got your back. And that's what played out in March last year. Yeah. It plummeted fast. But it went back up super fast because of what the Fed did. So in which case, downside volatility, downside skew, is probably overpriced.
1: Yeah. And I would just add to that, for people who aren't watching these markets uh, that closely, perhaps people who are new to this, trying to understand what's happening, implicit in this question, uh, Confused John says, uh, returning back to increasing the balance sheet or stopping the taper. Remember, the Fed is still increasing the balance sheet every month. The taper doesn't stop them from increasing the balance sheet. It just slows down the rate at which the balance sheet is increasing. So when we talk about hawkishness, really what we're talking about is marginally less dovishness. Uh, so we have to keep it all in context. And
0: I think it's an important point that can get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I mean, don't forget, in the past, go back 20 years, the Fed didn't have quantitative easing. So they were really looking at, well, how much our interest rates going to go up? And that didn't happen for a long time. But this is how much before we stop stimulating as much as we're doing. So we just give a little bit less to the markets all the time. And it's, and it's an extraordinary world we live in. Yeah. Here's
1: a question that comes to us uh, from uh, Henning Bierman Twitter. I'm going to grab this one, and I want to hear your uh, thoughts on this as well, Rao. The question is, uh, what caused the recent flash crash in Bitcoin? Um, So I suppose you can speculate about the causes. You could talk about a buy the rumor, sell the news effect, perhaps in El Salvador. You could look at on-chain metrics. But I would say the single most important thing to understand about the flash crash isn't what caused it, but to know that they will happen again, and they will happen with regularity. That's the nature of these markets, is to have these volatility uh, incidents, events, happen periodically. uh, And it's something that you just have to get used to if you're looking at this space. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, though, Ralph.
0: I mean the point is I don't care. <laughs> not about price I, I just looking for a reason after something happened for some something that happened is CNBC it's it's just not what we do and serious market participants shouldn't be doing that either. As you rightly say crypto overall is probably in the space an 80% volatility asset so therefore, if the S&P is a 10 vol asset, this would be the equivalent of um, you know, a, a very insignificant 1, 1.5% move in the S&P. And you wouldn't be going, oh, my God, what happened to the S&P after 1.5%? I'm looking at the bank. Right. Banks index is down 1.2% today. We're not going, well, what happened? It's, like, right. it's just market noise. It's right. just noise. Come to me when it goes down 50%, which it did earlier in the summer. And then we had some reasons. But this is just noise.
1: Yeah. Hey, Raoul, talking about our friends at NBC, is your your house becoming like the Today Show? Are there people watching outside the window?
0: Yeah. You know, I I attract this audience, you know, people just press their (laughs) noses against the window. I have to keep cleaning the windows because it keeps smudging them with the nose prints. But, you know, it's (laughs) the price of being famous in the Cayman Islands.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y-N ads.com. <laughs> um here's an interesting question from Gregory. This is a kind of a philosophical one. Uh, do you find parallels in DeFi with the times uh, when banks used their own banknotes, carkening back to the uh, free banking era? I'm curious uh, whether you think about that in, in those terms or in other terms. How do you think about what's happening in DeFi today?
0: Um, I don't think of it in those terms. I think of it more in the terms of having seen the derivative market grow from scratch. Where we saw financial innovation on an incredible scale, and it happened at a lightning speed, um, and it opened up all sorts of world of opportunities. That's what I think of as DeFi. Is more like the rise of the derivative market. Now I understand it's entirely different, but that's that's kind of how I think of it. The you know the individual bank banknotes. I don't really know. I don't really know. Yeah. Um-
1: Here's a question that comes to us uh, from Hero. It's a question about Asia. Uh, What's Raoul's take on the governmental developments in China? And what could be the best case scenario and the worst case scenario that you see
0: there? So I think the development is that the Chinese don't want their economy as unbalanced as it is. And that's the rich-poor divide. They had a tremendous amount of wealth generation amongst a group of billionaires, and they're clamping down on it. They don't want the, all of the profits to accumulate to a few large companies. They want it to be slightly spread. And look, it's a, it's a, it's a um, centralized economy, and they get the choice to do that. The rest of us have to do that via regulation and incentive systems within free markets. So everybody's p- facing the same problem, is that the 1% got extremely rich versus the 99 And everybody's trying to address it in different ways. They're trying to address it their way. Um, Now, what they don't want is they don't want social unrest. And that is the big fear in China. So I I understand it. Whether we like it or not, it's not not ours to judge. It's their country. They do what they want. But it does mean, and we saw this in Russia in the 2000s, is when the state gets too heavy-handed in taking or controlling the assets of the private sector, foreign capital leaves, because it's not a good home for your capital. And we will see less money going into China, and rightly so. So the Chinese can do what they want with their economy, but they won't do it on your or my dollar. They'll do it on somebody else's dollar. Now, that doesn't mean that Chinese stocks won't do well over time or, or whatever, or the Chinese economy won't. It just means that we vote with the freedom of our capital because we don't want it to be taken by the state. You know, Putin did this time and time and time again in Russia. You have to choose the right ally, and the moment you get the wrong one, your money gets destroyed. So um, it's not good. Foreign capital leaves China. Good thing is it gets redeployed into India, and we're seeing that huge switch, um, and other places. So as opposed to all the money flowing into Alibaba, maybe it flows into somebody else's business. And that's why capital markets are great. Capital, if it's not treated well, finds a new home. Yeah, very well
1: said. And I would probably add um, to that the open question, and this isn't something that certainly I'm not an expert in, but I do follow it. Uh, The question about the Chinese government also uh, concerned about the data Leakage coming out of uh, that country, and the idea that they understand they have a very sophisticated le- understanding of uh, the notion that data is power, particularly when you have over a billion uh, data points in the form of your population.
0: Yes. And they want more of that data in the public hands than the private sector. Yeah. So I understand. I mean, Different economies manage that in different ways. My guess is below the surface they're all equally dark, which is every government wants access to the data, for whatever reasons: some nefarious, some non-nefarious, some very constructive, some very negative. Um, And it is a feature of our times. Nothing we can get we we can't avoid it. Yes, there are developments that will allow privacy over time, but you know, by the fact that everybody's on Twitter asking questions shows that nobody gives a toss about their own privacy. The fact that they're doing on a Google web browser shows that they really don't care about their own privacy. Or they're watching this on a mobile phone shows they don't care about their own privacy. So you can't really go pointing fingers at the Chinese state. Everybody's given away their privacy a long time ago. That battle was lost 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. And when you look at that generationally, uh, there's a greater proclivity, certainly among younger people, to be much more open about their data
0: uh, for better and for worse, I suppose. Yeah, it is for better and for worse, and you make your choice. Now, the good thing is a lot of this crypto technology allows for different levels of access to your data and how you carry that data. I think that'll be a huge development, and it's good because I don't like giving my data out. You know, I don't use a Google browser um, because I find... Google is too egregious with my data. I'll trust Apple more with my data. That may be naive of me. Um, but sooner or later, we'll be able to have that kind of zero-knowledge-proof identity system that crypto brings about that allows us to say, yes, you can have my data in exchange for either the service you're giving me or money. You know, If you're going to use this and you're going to get money for it, you're going to pay me some. So it is going to change, and there will be a battle between those who want privacy and those who want the data, much like there's a battle with cybersecurity and all of this stuff. It's all part of this big digital world. Yeah. And, of course, our friends down in the Cayman Islands, for
1: the Brave Browser, uh, another alternative for people who are interested in, uh, obviously, securing uh, their own data to a higher level than you'd be able to do with something like Chrome. Raoul, I am searching. I mean, searching for non-crypto questions here. Searching.
0: There, look, to be fair, look, people have to realize macros like buses. When you go to a bus stop in a busy city, you sit around waiting and waiting and waiting. No bus happens. Then 11 buses come at once. That's macro. <laughs> so you can't force a narrative where nothing is going on. Julian Brigden and myself in Macro Insiders talk about this frequently. Macro is lumpy. Nothing happens and it all happens at once. And right now, nothing's happening. Why? Because it's the summer and people are still not quite back from holidays yet. Crypto is slightly different because it is a more volatile asset. There always seems to be more going on, and it's just faster paced. Yeah. Um,
1: Here's a question from Adelia MJ Khan, uh, and the question is, Rao, can you talk about
0: gold? What's your view of what's happening in gold right now? I think it's fair to say gold has been a real disappointment this year. Um, But gold has a habit of doing this. It's disappointing until it's not. It's like those buses. Gold buses all come at once and then it shoots up another fifty percent and then calms down again for ages. Um, and you know, I think of gold as like the inverse of the central bank balance sheets. If we're saying that the rate of change of balance sheet is slowing down right now, gold shouldn't be doing a lot. If stimulus comes back, we'll see gold go, silver go. So it's a patience game. Gold, I think you know, you're better off at looking at gold in a kind of one-year mark terms than a daily weekly term so if you to look at gold on an annual basis it kind of makes sense um, it's a longer term instrument and i think we force a short-term narrative on it you know inflation gold should go up oh the inflation number came out gold should go down that is none of that is true give it its time and it works perfectly
1: yeah so Ralph, as we come to the end of this conversation the end of the week final thoughts how would you frame what's happening i know you've said there's not a whole lot happening Uh, But you have some broader thoughts about what are happening uh, in markets on the digital side, asset side, as well as on the macro side.
0: Generally speaking, the last quarter of the year is when all the buses come. Everybody's job is to be on the lookout for those buses. Because A, you don't want to be run over by the bus, and you want to catch the right bus. That's the entire investing game in one go my bet is that the crypto bus is a rocket ship and not a bus <laughs> and this last quarter will be extraordinary but i don't want to get hit by the bus if i'm wrong because being hit by a rocket ships quite painful <laughs> <laughs> i think the macro markets are also the buses start to come in which is the slowdown in growth i.e. a change in the macro narrative that's all we need. Positive or negative change in the macro narrative drives opportunity, and I think that opportunity is coming. And I think it's in the, I think it's in the realm of weaker bond yields, probably weaker markets for a period of time. Then more stimulus, and that kind of ignites the growth stocks, uh, that whole exponential age thesis again, um, and kind of shifts what people are focused on in markets you know, shifts away from commodities back to technology. So I think that's all to come. I think people need to have patience, but you need to be scouring all of this because it's going to come soon because that's typically what happens. The whole year is usually made between September and December. So everyone should be sharpening their pencils, scanning the horizon and waiting to see which buses are coming along and don't get run over by the wrong bus.
1: Somebody is registering crypto rocketbus.eth right now. I guess. <laughs> 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 Thanks for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing, everybody. Have a great weekend. In the meantime, until we can see you again, uh, we will be there on the exchange, Real Vision's social network, all brand new right now. And I should add, finally, happy birthday to my mother. Thanks for watching, everybody.
0: <laughs> happy, yeah, happy birthday, Miss Bennington. See you, everyone.